Welcome to the First Baptist Church podcast from First Baptist Church in Navasota, Texas. For more information, visit fbcnavasota.org. There we go. Um, guys, I'm filling in for Clyde this week. Clyde is uh, doing a wedding for one of his really good friends from growing up, um, so that's exciting, so I'm glad. Um, I'm humbled, as always, to be um, be able to preach God's word to you guys this morning. Um, I want to pray before we jump in, and then we'll uh, get started. God, we just... Uh, We don't deserve this. God, we don't deserve your word. We don't deserve a relationship with you. We don't deserve to be able to sing your praises. God, help us not take a moment for granted this morning. Humble us. Help us not just go through the routine of church. God, if your spirit does not awaken our hearts this morning, I might as well just go home. If your spirit is not here, I have nothing, God. But God, we're desperate for your spirit. We're desperate for your word. We're desperate to hear from you today. Because we know if we really hear from you, we will leave never the same. If you would take a moment just to pray that God would open your eyes to his word this morning. If you just pray for me as well, that I would be a blessing to you and and God would speak through me. God, this time's yours. Do Do what you want with it. It's in your name. Amen. So a lot of you guys are pumped that we're talking about fear today. Not really. Everybody was doing jumping jacks and heel clicks when they got out of bed this morning that we were talking about fear. But guys, all of us are afraid. Whether we admit it or not, all of us deal with fear. I'm going to share a story of when I was afraid. Is that okay? So I, about a month ago, I was speaking at a Disciple Now weekend up in Teague, Texas, the big town of Teague, if you've ever driven through there. It's a, the, the locals pronounce it Tig. I have no idea why. It's not spelled Tig, but they pronounce it Tig, so I was trying to, you know, go along with it. And I remember that night, after we got done speaking, the leadership team at a Disciple Now weekend always goes and does what's called house checks. All the teens are spending the night at wonderful church members' homes, but we like to go and make sure, number one, the house isn't on fire, uh, they're not, they haven't stolen or broken anything, and that they haven't snuck out, right? So we go and we do all the visits, and I'm with my father-in-law and my future brother-in-law and the worship team, and we're doing visit after visit after visit. Remember, give you a little context, 11 o'clock at night on a Friday, it's raining, um, so we finally get, we get to the second to last host home. And we pull into this, this driveway, and this is, a, I mean, this is a nice house. It's got a nice big new RV in the driveway. It's got a Range Rover 
We're like, man, whoever's staying here is getting the hook up, all right? So we pull up, and we all stumble out of the car, and we have our hoods up because it's raining, and we go to the front door. And we knock on the door. We hear some dogs barking. We're like, I'm like, no big deal. I have dogs. Like, they're not going to do anything to me, right? So we knock, and we're waiting. We're kind of just huddled out there because it's, you know, it's raining. And um, nobody's coming to the door. So we knock again. Still hearing the dogs. And eventually I'm like, you know what? I should call one of the leaders to make sure this is the right house. So I call uh, Faith, who's one of our leaders, who was helping for the weekend. I said, hey, are you guys staying at a house that has dogs? She said, no, there's no dogs here. Immediately I'm like, we got to go, right? <laughs> so we're like speed walking back to the car. As soon as my brother-in-law opens the front door, you know those Topo Chico glass water, or, you know, sparkling waters? Falls out of the car glass breaks all over the driveway. And we're like, great. We have our hoods up. We're at the wrong house. Glass just broke. This is not good. We need to get out of here pronto. Well, they're taking their merry old time picking up the glass, and I'm just like, come on. Like, let's go. we got to get this done. As soon as they get in the car, we're backing out of the driveway. A lady steps onto her front porch, and she's holding a 12-gauge shotgun. And my heart is pounding, right? I know, I know my brother-in-law and my father-in-law see the same thing. We don't say a word. We're just slowly backing out because we didn't want to peel out of there like we stole something, right? And as we're backing up, we, we start going, and we're turning, and we're going back to the main road. And I'm thinking, man, if she takes a shot, I'm in the passenger seat. I'm gone, right? So my heart's pounding. I'm like, please don't do anything stupid. Like, we were, it was the wrong house. I'm so sorry, you know? And, and we get out of there, and we're, we all look at each other like... Did that just happen, right? Did somebody just pull a gun on us, right? I've lived in Texas almost four years. Nobody's pulled a gun on me until about a month ago. But I, knew, I know if, if I showed up to one of your guys' houses at 11 o'clock on a Friday out in the middle of the country, I might be met with the same, uh, the same response, right? The lady was probably afraid. I was afraid. Guys, fear is so real in this world. We can't escape it. It's all over the place. I, uh, I sent out an uh, email this week. It's a survey um, for what, what is your greatest fear. And about 80 of you guys answered. And I want to share the results with us right now, the top eight fears that all you guys had. The first one was being alone and not truly being known by somebody else. Maybe loneliness fear of being alone for the rest of your life, not being known by other people. Number seven was the fear of the world we live in. Fear of the world we're leaving to our kids and our grandkids. The world that's spiraling out of control. Next one, fear of growing old and death. Number five, not seeing loved ones accept Jesus as their Savior before they die. Number four, not really doing what God wanted me to do on this earth while I was here, wasting my time. Number three, not enough money to provide. Number two, fear of failure, whatever that may consist of. And here's the number one fear, losing a child or a grandchild. 
So guys, you can't come into this room today and say, I'm not afraid of anything. You're afraid. As Christ followers, we're still plagued by fear. I also surveyed the students on Wednesday night, and I gave them a list of things to check off if they're afraid of it. Here were the top. Out of 58 students surveyed, 79% said they're afraid of losing a family member. It's the top one once again. 71% are afraid of not being loved and accepted. 62% of students are afraid of failure. 62% of the students are afraid a school shooting might happen in Navasota. We never were afraid of that in high school. 55% of students are afraid of being rejected. 53% of students are say they're anxious or depressed. And 45% of students are afraid they won't fit in. So guys, what do we do with fear? Are we supposed to be plagued by fear our entire lives? Are we just supposed to go with it and just let the world swallow us whole? Or does God have something in mind for us with our fear? You know, it's funny. Scientists and psychologists don't actually know what causes fear. There's no consensus of, hey, this is why fear happens. Here's a quote by a lady named Lisa Fritzscher. She said, scientists are trying to understand exactly what fear is and what causes it. But this is a supremely difficult undertaking in light of the differences between individuals in terms of what they fear and why. Not to mention there is no agreement between scientists who study fear as to whether it's a sort of behavior that's only observable or something our brains are physically wired to do. Guys, you know what's funny? The Bible actually gives us a reason why fear is in this world. If you go all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve are in the garden with God. No sin. It's perfection. They're, they get to see God face to face. They get to talk to him. They get to, they get to be in this amazing relationship with God. And God didn't want Adam and Eve to be uh, perpetual robots their whole life where they were forced to love God. So he said, I'm going to give you a choice. I want you to choose to love me because that's what love is. I'm going to put a tree in the garden. And if you eat that tree, death awaits around the corner. And if you don't, you get to spend paradise with me forever. The serpent comes in and says, hey, God's holding out on you. You need to eat. You need to have your eyes open. You need to follow what you want to do. And it says they ate guys, and the first thing that happened to them, they hid because they were afraid. Relationship with God turned into being afraid of God. Guys, when, when, when that relationship broke, everything began to unravel. Fear entered the world for the first time. What we're going to look at today, how do we get out of that? How do we get out of that fear cycle? Because God gives us a way out through Jesus. Guys, we've been going through a series where Clyde's been going through the different heroes of the faith. I put heroes in quotation marks because sometimes, guys, these guys were not heroic at all. We're going to look at a guy today who is the opposite of a hero in the Bible. So here's what's happening. We're going to be in the book of Judges, chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. Here's, what hap here's what's happening in Judges. If you want to read a book about how bad things got, read Judges. There's barely any good, awesome moments in the book of Judges. It's mostly like Israel started worshiping other gods. God delivered them into another uh, nation's hands. They screwed up. They cried out to God. God sent them a deliverer. And then 
they had peace, but then they blew it again. It's literally the same cycle nine or ten times. And it's crazy. That's where we pick up today. We pick up with the story of this guy named Gideon. And here's what's happening. The Malachites and the Midianites were this group of people, and it says they swarmed the land like locusts. There's so many people, they were tearing up all of Israel's crops. They were just, they're taking their livestock from them. And it says Israel was hiding in the mountains and caves and in fortresses. They were terrified of their lives. The invaders were ravaging their land. Guys, I think sometimes we have the same response when we see this happening today. We spend a little bit too much time watching the news, and by the end of the day, we think that the world is going to end in the next 24 hours. We're afraid. Guys, the, most two, the two most uh, commercials that are on TV are for insurance and for home security systems. Aren't we doing the same thing the Israelites are doing? Are we hiding? We got our guns. We got our strongholds. Because we look at the world and we say, this world's a mess. I've got to save my skin. I need to hide and retreat, just like the Israelites are doing. Now there's wisdom, guys. But for the most part, are we, are we dictated by fear? Or are we dictated by a relationship with Jesus where we don't have to fear anything? Guys, we live in a world, society wants us to act on our fears. That's what marketing's all about. This could happen if you don't have this. This might happen if you don't have this. This might happen if you don't have this. We're going to look at today a process for peace. Guys, I want peace. I hope you do too. So let's stand together. We're going to read Judges 6, 11 through 16. Let's read it together. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophra that belonged to Joash the Bezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. May God bless the reading of his word. You can have a seat. So here's where the angel finds Gideon. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. In a, in a low area where you're supposed to stomp grapes, Gideon is threshing wheat because he's afraid of the Amalekites. He's afraid of the Midianites. They're going to take what he's doing. 
So he's, he's literally just afraid. He's down in a wine press. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. There is nothing mighty about this guy. My, my professor in college called Gideon the super chicken. This guy's a super chicken. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. God shows up and he says, hey, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And he's like, hey, if the Lord was really with us, why is all this happening? Why are we getting ravaged by the Midianites? Why is everything crumbling around us if the Lord is really with us? No, the Lord has abandoned us. Guys, I don't know about you, and you wouldn't announce this in public, saying that the Lord has abandoned us, but guys, don't, do you ever feel that in your spirit sometimes? When you look around the world and you see nations just unraveling, you see stuff happening in our society that you're not real thrilled about, and you, there's, there's, there's something inside of us that might say, God, where are you? What's, what's going on here? And you know what's funny? Gideon says that to the angel, but the angel gives him no. He doesn't even, he doesn't even worry about that. He's like, no, you're actually going to go, and you're going to lead Israel to deliver the hands of the Midianites. Guys, Gideon immediately spawns back. He says, he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My clan in all of Israel is the weakest, and I am the weakest in my clan. He's the super chicken. He's the guy that gets picked glass and kickball. God is not picking. He's literally picking the worst of the worst. He's picking the bottom of the barrel with Gideon. There's nothing mighty about him. But God's going to do something crazy in his life. And eventually God's like, hey, stop giving me all the excuses. So Gideon's like, okay, let me come back. I'm going to bring you some food. And... Um, We'll, we'll, talk, we'll sit and talk for a little bit. So he comes back with all this stuff, and the angel of the Lord says, hey, put that food on that stump right there. So Gideon puts it on the stump. The angel of the Lord s- touches his staff on the stump. Fire consumes it, and then the angel disappears. Gideon is freaked out. He's like, oh, my gosh, I just saw an angel of the Lord I'm going to die. Woe is me. If we saw an angel in the room right now, we would fall down and we'd be terrified. But you know what God says? He says, don't be afraid. Peace be with you. You're not going to die. And and Gideon constructed an altar and he said, the Lord is peace. So you know what? Gideon figured it out. We can all go home. He just built an altar and said, the Lord is peace. That's all we need, right? No. Gideon was still terrified, and God's going to take him on a journey to give him more peace and less fear. Verse 24 says this, So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. To this day it stands, an offer of the Abezerites. Guys, when he talks about peace, it's not talking about sitting on a desert island uh, with uh, people feeding you grapes, singing Um, Do you want pina coladas and getting caught in the rain? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about shalom. Shalom means complete and inner wholeness and well-being. God wants us to have peace, even though the world around us is spiraling out of control. So what's that process for peace? I want to give you a process for peace today. 
I don't know about you, I want peace. I don't want to live my whole life on this earthly existence terrified, hiding. So the first part of the process for peace is this. A fresh start. Number one is a fresh start. You know what's funny? Why do you think God called Gideon a mighty warrior? Why didn't Why didn't he say, hey, super chicken, I see you there. He called him a mighty warrior because he was speaking an identity into him that he did not have. Guys, when we encounter the living, breathing, active God, he changes our identity. He, he says we're a new creation. He says we might not be a mighty warrior, but in his eyes, Gideon is a mighty warrior. And he's going to take him on this process to make sure that that happens, but he's speaking it into existence on the front end. We'll never, guys, we'll never have peace until we meet the Prince of Peace. Why do you think Jesus is called the Prince of Peace? Because he wants us to have complete wholeness in life. If we don't know the Prince of Peace, this process that I'm about to mention today is going to make no sense. It starts with a fresh start. Jesus offers us that fresh start today. Here's the next part in the process for peace. Bring in the crane. Bring in the crane. Let me read these scriptures with us. In verse 25 in chapter 6, it says, The same night the Lord said to him, Take a second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal. Cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of its height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants, and he did as the Lord told him. But listen to this. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the day. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was a bale altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on a newly built altar. Guys, in construction zones, the crane truck can attach a wrecking ball where it will demolish the old building. It will clean it out so that on the same crane, it can lift in new parts to be used for a new house. Guys, the reason why I say bring in the crane truck is because if we really want peace, we have to tear down the idols in our lives. And we have to put something in its place. And I'm not talking about, you might be like, Joe, I don't have any little statue guys that I put on my shelf at home. Jay, what was your definition of, in your children's sermon, of uh, loving something more than Jesus? Or loving something that can't love you back? That's an idol. Loving something that can't love you back. You know why God can't tolerate pagan gods in our lives? It says in, it says in the Bible he's a jealous God. And you think jealous like a little like schoolgirl that gets jealous because somebody took their toy on the playground. No. Imagine that you, you're married and you... And you've been away for a few days and you come home and you're excited to see your spouse and you walk in and your spouse is cheating on you. What would go through your head? What emotions would you feel? 
Would you feel angry? Would you feel disappointed? Would you feel upset? Would you feel sad? Betrayed? Guys, that's when we have all these idols in our in our lives, guys, God saying, I just want I just want you. You've 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 taken your attention and your affection and you've put them in so different so many different things, guys. The the Baal altar and the and the Asherah pole, when they worshipped those things, they didn't care if you had a hundred hundred gods. But God was like, You'll have no other gods before me. Guys, think of Dr. Tim Keller says idols are like this. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. When you have nothing else going on, what does your mind fixate on? Why do you constantly and habitually think about to get joy and comfort in the privacy of your heart? So when you're alone, what does your heart and your mind gravitate towards? Is it your phone? Is it your family? Is it your money? Another indicator of on idols is where do I spend my money? Where's my money going? How do you respond to unanswered prayers? If you're praying for something and God doesn't give it to you, do you say, you know what, God, I trust you, you have my best in store, or do you get mad and throw a fit? That might mean there's an idol there. Colossians 3, 1 through 5, here's the deal with idols. When we recognize them in our hearts, we have to put something in their place. We need to put Jesus in their place. It says this, Colossians 3, 1 through 5, it says, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Catch this, which is idolatry. Guys, if we want peace, we need to get those things out of our lives that are taking our peace. Guys, idols will rob you of your joy. They will not bring you any joy. They promise peace, and they don't give it to you. When Gideon tore down this altar with his buds, the town people woke up the next morning, and they were ticked. They're like, what, what, what happened here? They figured out it's Gideon. They show up to his house, and they tell his dad, bring out Gideon. We're going to kill him. We want to kill this guy. And you know what his dad says? He said, hey, if Baal's really all he's cracked up to be, let Baal fight for himself. And they're like, oh, that makes sense. And they left. Judges 6, 34 through 35 says this, The Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Bezerites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulon, Naphtali. So they went up to, to meet them. The next step in the process for peace is, I've got the power. Say, I've got the power. Say it like in the song. Eh, we'll work on that. Uh, there we go. That's right. Um, guys, it says the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. If the Holy Spirit is not present in your life, you will never have true peace. 
you're not listening to the Spirit, you won't have true peace. Guys, the Spirit of God comes into our lives when we surrender our lives to Jesus. He says the Spirit comes in and takes up residence in our lives. You know what's crazy? Jesus says the Spirit is known as the Comforter, the Counselor, someone that will never leave you. You feel alone? God's right there. And it also says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace. I need one volunteer. Raise your hand. All right, Steve. What's your favorite apple? Granny Smith. Good choice. I want you to, gr- I want you to grow right now a Granny Smith out of your arm. Come on. Try. What are you doing? Why can't it happen? Because he's not a tree, right? Fruit comes from a tree. So if it says the fruit of the Spirit, peace comes from the Spirit. We can't muster up peace. We can't just try to force peace out of our arms. Peace has to be from given from God. If we don't have the Spirit, we won't have peace. Here's the next step. If you say so. If you say so. Guys, when Gideon blows the trumpet, 30,000 troops show up. You think he's still afraid? Yes. He was the super chicken that was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now he has a whole army that's at his his, his footsteps right there. He's like, what am I going to do? I don't know how to lead an army. And it says, all right, God, I know you told me I'm going to do this, but I need to test you a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put out my fleece, and in the morning, if you're going to do what you said you, you were going to do, in the morning I want the ground to be dry, but I want my fleece to be soaking wet. He wakes up. His fleece is soaking wet. And he's like, all right, God, please don't get mad at me. I need one more sign. He says, this time I want you to do the opposite. God does the opposite. Guys, have you ever had that your, that friend in your life that tells you to do something and you're not so sure about it, um, but he's just constantly persistent and, and, and bugging you, and then finally, what do you say? If you say so, I'll do it. But it's on you if it doesn't work out, right? If you say so. Guys, God has already told Gideon what's going to happen. He's already told us what he's going to do. A lot of times, guys, in our circumstances, when we see the world around us crumbling, when, we, when we're afraid, we let our emotions and our hearts lead us. We say, i got to take control. I don't know if God's going to come through. Guys, God has never not come through. If you say so, guys, we have to trust that, that he's going to do what he says. Guys, when Jesus stepped into a boat one time and, and Peter was there and he said, Peter, I want you to cast out into deep water. Peter said, Jesus, we just fished all night. There's no fish out there. We just washed our nets. Wait, what does Peter say? He says, if you, because you said it, I'll do it. Guys, this has to be what we stake our anchor on. Not our emotions. Our hearts will deceive us. Our, our emotions, our circumstances will tell us to do things. And if you've ever heard the the advice, follow your heart, that is the worst advice in the world. It's the worst advice. 
because that person's probably following their heart and they're not doing so well, right? We have to lay our foundation in Jesus' word regardless if the circumstance doesn't make sense. And guess what? Peter caught so many fish that night that his nets were breaking and his boat was sinking because he listened. Guys, how much peace does God want us to have if we trust this? The next part of the process, you guys probably aren't going to understand. You'd be like, what? The next one's be weak. How many, how many of your parents have ever told you to be weak? If you're getting bullied on the school playground, hey, son, come here. I know you're getting bullied. I just, I think if you be weak, you're going you're gonna to stand up to your foes. Just be weak. Get, take the punches, right? It's the worst advice ever. But here's what happens, guys. In God's economy, he wants us to be weak. Here's why. Gideon has the army, right? And he's freaking out because the Midianites and the Amalekites have 130,000 troops. They have 30,000 troops. That's not going to work out so well. Here's what God says. Hey, Gideon, come here. You see your troops? There's too many troops. Gideon's like, are you kidding me? No, we're, we're outnumbered four to one. They have too many troops. God's like, no, I want you to get rid of some because you're going to think if you win that you did it. So God says, all right, tell, ask everybody in the army if they're afraid. Gideon, the super chicken, who's probably the most fearful out of all of them, says, hey, how many of you guys are afraid? Two-thirds of the room raise their hands. And then God says, tell them to go home. And they go home. Gideon's like, oh, great. Now we have 1,000 troops, 10,000 troops against 130. You know what God says to Gideon? Still too many troops. Gideon's like, no, we've, we have gotten rid of enough troops, God. He says, no, I want you to go down to the water, and the, and the people that bend down and scoop up the water and lap it like a dog, the lappers, I want you to separate them and the ones that lean down into the stream and suck it, the suckers, I want you to separate the lappers and the suckers. That's what's happening. And there's 300 lappers. And Gideon's like, for sure we're sending those guys home. Ones that are like a dog. And God's like, no, keep those. 300 now. Against 130,000. Have you ever seen the movie 300. Yeah, but these guys are not warriors like them. So now they're extremely outnumbered. Guys, here's the crazy thing. God wants you to be weak. Why does he want you to be weak? So that he can be strong. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. It says this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. So guys, the pep talks about being strong, face your fears, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, you can do it. God's saying, no, you can't do it. You're weak. But that's where exactly where I need you to be, because then I'm going to come through. Here's the next point. No John Waynes allowed. 
You might be like, oh, man, I love John Wayne. Here's what I mean by that. In all the John Wayne movies, he's like the Lone Ranger. He's the one that's by himself. He's fixing all the problems. He doesn't need anybody else. But guys, we can't be like that. We're not allowed to be like that in the, in the economy of God. So he says this in Judges 6, 6, 8 through 11. He says this, he told this to Gideon. Now the camp of the Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to him, Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. Afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. Guys, God knows Gideon is still terrified. Even after he's seen all these amazing things, he says, you know what, Gideon, here's the deal. I want you to go down to the camp. I want you to listen in on what they're talking about because you're going to realize that I'm going to give this into your, to your hands. And you know, what's ha- you know what happened? He says, hey, if you're really afraid, bring your friend. Here's what the next verse says. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. He's still super chicken, guys. And he brings his buddy. He's like, all right, good. I got somebody to go with. And he goes down to the camp. Guys, Gideon had a friend who was willing to encourage him and tell them the truth about God's promises to him. Here's what happens. They go down to the camp. They're right outside this guy's tent. And the guy's like, hey, he's telling his buddy, hey, I had this dream last night. A big loaf of barley came rolling down into our camp and knocked over all the tents. And his friend's like, Gideon, that's us. We're going to win. We're going to defeat these people. We can trust in God. Guys, do you have the friends in your life that feed your fears or help face your fears? Do you get around with your friends and complain about how the world's going to end? Who are just like, oh my gosh, did you see what happened today? And they just, and by the end of talking to them, you are terrified, right? Or do you have the friends that are saying, you know what? Yeah, it's a little scary out there, but we're going to do this together. We're going to face this together. Are you living the John Wayne life right now? Are you surrounding yourself with people that will encourage you? Guys, if you're a loner right now, you're going to be afraid. Satan preys on us when we are alone. But God knows that he needed community around him. Number seven, remember the fight is fixed. Remember the fight is fixed. Guys, Gideon now had the confidence he needed to lead his troops. He finally had the peace enough to realize God was going to do everything. Here's how the battle ends. You guys ready for this? They have 300 guys, remember? The Midianites are laying in the valley. 130,000 troops, dead asleep. And Gideon says, all right, here, guys, here's what we're going to do. Bring a horn, bring a jar, and bring a torch. That's not, is there any weapons in there? Is there? You can use the horn to hit somebody? Yeah, that's not going to do much. Gideon brought no weapons. He says, don't bring any weapons, bring this. He says, when we surround the valley, when I yell and blow my horn, I want you to throw your jars down, the glass breaking, sound. I want you to blow your horns and I want you to hold your torches in the air. And they did it all at the same time. You know what happened? The Midianites woke up from a deep sleep 
and panic. They get their weapons. They're running out of their tents. Everybody's just chaos is ensuing. They think the enemy has already come into the valley and they start killing each other. The Midianite army is killing each other. All Gideon's people are doing is blowing a horn on the hill. Eventually they realize God's given us into his hands and they pursue the enemies and they struck down the Midianites. Guys, a lot of us live in this world and we don't think that God's in control. But guys, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus entered this world, do we believe that he actually said it's finished? Do we believe that he's already won the battle and that he's coming back one day to make all things right? Or do we just constantly think, I don't know what God's going to do. I think he might come through or not. Like, Guys, God has promised that he's already won. That it's a fixed fight. It's happened countless times in history. And here's the last one, and this is one of the most important ones. Wash, rinse, repeat. If you look at the instruct in the instructions on your shampoo of how to use shampoo, wash, rinse, repeat. Do the same thing. It's not rocket science. Wash, rinse, repeat. Guys, if we ended the story at Gideon winning the battle, we'd say, man, Gideon, you rock. You faced your fears. You have peace. Here's how the story ends. In verse 22 of chapter 8, the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your sons, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do, I do have one request, though. Here's Mr. Gideon again. That each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment. Each of them threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments and pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midianite or the chains that were on the camel's necks. Gideon made them into a gold ephod, which he placed in Ophra, his town. Here's, what ha- here's the sad part. All of Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it here, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Gideon's like, no, nah, I'm not going to be king. God won. But then something immediately clicked in him. He's like, hey, bring me all this gold. And he makes this ephod, this, this thing that, that priests would have wore, and he constructs this statue and he puts the ephod on it. Guys, he went back to step two. He put an idol right back up. And guys, if we don't watch our hearts, this isn't just a one-time process and we'll have peace forever. No. Idols will spring up if we don't replace it with Jesus, if we don't watch our hearts. Guys, our hearts are so fickle. They will deceive us. We have to keep watch over our hearts. I have one more story, and then we'll... uh, We're going to do what we need to do to close. But So this morning, it's probably about 12.30 at night, so this morning, Judah woke up, and I go into the room trying to rock him to get him back down. 
And parents, I know you've been here. You rock them, and you rock them, and you rock them, and you're putting them back in the crib, and you're like, all right, this is great. Judah does one of these, like, army roll, like, things, and he just, like, starts wailing, crying, and I'm like, you wanted to say some choice words, but I didn't. And um, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Realizing that Judah's not going to go back to sleep, or I'm gonna, it's going to take two hours for me to get him back to sleep, then I'm not going to sleep. I go grab my pillow. I'm out on the couch. Judah's sleeping with me. Judah starts hitting me. He starts, boom. Like I'm like, what are you doing? Like, sleep, right? And I just, I, you could feel, like, just the anger, <laughs> like, boiling. I'm like, Judah, i got to preach tomorrow, man. Like, go to sleep. <laughs> and you're just like, things are boiling up inside of you. And then, you know what God said to me? He said, Joe, if you can't love your son at his lowest point, how are you going to love other people? At 1230 at night, if you can't love your son, put to practice all the stuff you've learned in Bible school, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, yeah, right. So we finally go to sleep. But, guys, here's, here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid in the church we haven't really owned our fears. And because we haven't really talked about them and been real with them inside the church, we're never going to own them outside. So we're going to do something that's going to make some of you uncomfortable. I'm going to put those fears back on the screen. I'm going to read them. And if it, maybe it's not your greatest fear, but if you fear this at some point, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up and look around, and I'm going to read a scripture over you, and then you can sit down. But I want us to look around and just and just realize today that we are not alone in our fears, and God wants to ca- cast out all of our fears. So here's the first one. If you ever fear losing a child or a grandchild, would you stand up? Here's the verse I want to read over you today. It comes from Job. A person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months. You have set limits he cannot exceed. Guys, do we believe that God has already numbered our days in this earthly existence? And then if, tragically, if we lost a child or a grandchild, it would never be the same. But instead of being one day farther away from them, we're one day closer to seeing them again. And that being with Jesus is eternally better than being on this rock. person's days are numbered. You guys can have a seat. Some of you might be getting up a lot. That's okay. How many of you are afraid of failure? All the youth. Oh, almost. There we go. Let me read this. Proverbs 21.14 says this, The righteous may fall seven times, but still get up. But the wicked will stumble into trouble. Guys, you will fail. Failure is inevitable. But are you going to let God's grace cover you and continue to stand, continue to get up? Because the wicked, the ones that don't know Christ, they don't know how to get up. They'll fall, they'll stumble and fall. You can take a seat. How many of you are afraid you're not going to have enough money to provide? 
Matthew 6, 31 through 34 says this, So don't worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Because he said so. You can trust him. You can sit down. How many of you are afraid that you're not really going to do what God wanted you to do on this earth while you were here? That you didn't follow his will, that you didn't listen, that you were distracted? Guys, I think we complicate this too much. Jesus replied, here's what you're supposed to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Guys, that's God's will. Love him with everything. Love our neighbors because God's loved us. We don't have to worry about the the minute details sometimes. But if we're doing that, God's going to lead us into his will. You can have a seat. A few more. Number five, not seeing loved ones except Jesus as their Savior. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your, your children, grandchildren, grandparents. John 15, 16 says this. You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Guys, we are commanded to pray and share Jesus with our, with our friends and our family, but guys, we can't control their destiny. Guys, it says God chooses us. Take the pressure off yourself. Pray that they'll accept Christ, share Christ, but at the end of the day, they have a free will, and you can't control it. But we pray that it happens. You can have a seat. We've got three more. How many of you are afraid of the, the, the aging process, growing old, and even death one day? All the youth. Here's, guys, here's this truth for you. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Guys, I heard a pastor say it this way one time. Death is a paper-thin doorway to the faithful God. There's not a moment of in-between. It's a snap, and you're there. Guys, do we believe that the new heavens and the new earth are going to be way greater than this? Or do we think it's just going to be cupids playing harps and we're living on clouds? That doesn't sound fun. No, God's going to restore this earth. And we're going to live with him. There's no sin, no fear. We don't have to be afraid of growing old. Aging is part of the fall and sin. You guys can have a seat. You guys are getting a workout. It's good. How many of you are just kind of afraid of the world? You see the world around you, it's unraveling, you're watching the news, the sin, the headlines. 
John 16:33 says this, I have told you these things, this is Jesus talking before he's about to die, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome. And one day he's going to come back again and make things right. He's going to make all things new. He's going to judge the living and the dead. You can have a seat. Here's the last one. How many of you are afraid of, are afraid of being alone and not truly known by others? Deuteronomy 31.8 says this, Is it the Lord who goes before you? He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be fear or dismayed. Guys, that's why we need the Spirit. He's our comforter. He's going to be with us. When we're afraid and we're alone, Jesus is right there. Have a seat. Guys, do you have peace today? You're honest with yourself. Do you have peace or are you ruled by your fears? Guys, the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. And it also says there is no greater love than this than one who is willing to lay down his life for his friends. Guys, Jesus was the perfect love. Because of what he's done on the cross for your sins, defeating death once and for all, saying, everything you've ever done, I am not counting against you if you believe in me. No matter what's happened to you, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what you're afraid of, you trust in me. I'm the Prince of Peace. The perfect love that I have will start to cast out the fears of this world. Do you have that peace of Jesus? If not, maybe this is the day. Unless you want to keep living afraid for the rest of your life. Have you, have you surrounded yourself with, with people that are going to encourage you and not feed your fears? Maybe this is the day you, you join this, this body church. Maybe you're just afraid of something. You need to pray and you need to cast that. Maybe there's some idols in your life that are, that, that are going on that you need to take care of, that are robbing your peace. I don't know what that is for you today, but the Spirit will make it known to you today. And the, and the first step, the step that you need to take is the first step, the one of obedience. Let's pray and then uh, we'll sing our final song. God, I don't want to be afraid anymore. I don't want to live my life in fear. And I know there's a lot of people that don't want to live their life in fear either. Perfect love casts out fear. Help us believe that. Help us receive that today, Jesus, that you're alive, that you're in control even though the world feels out of control, that you're with us by your Spirit that we can trust in your word that's never returned void and never been an error. God, don't let us be John Wayne's. We're just by ourselves the rest of our lives. God, help us surround ourselves with people that are going to give us confidence, that are going to tell us we're weak so that we can be strong in you. Help us remember this that it's finished, it's a fixed fight, that you're going to come back one day and make all things right. And God, help us keep watch over our hearts as we let the idols creep back in.
unnoticed, and it robs our joy again. Dad, we, we sing this song, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Let that be true to us today. Wherever we're at, youth, middle-aged, senior adults, kids, God, whatever we're afraid of, let us just bring that out in front of us right now and let you take it, let you take care of it. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name. Amen. Stand together, church. We're going to sing. And if God's leading you to do something, and maybe you don't know what it is, come forward. I'd love to pray with you this morning.